It's not cricket. Cricket, no, the, the game, not the insect, could be a threat from climate change, according to the MCC and the Climate Coalition. The government's white paper on Brexit is published and Martin Baxter comments on the implications for the environment. News from Scotland about a lamppost which generates its own electricity and statistics from the SMMT about diesel cars. I also ask why marine anthropogenic litter is an issue for us all, whether Greenpeace has overstepped itself this time. I introduce another candidate for the Department of Missed Opportunities and Sir David King warns that time is no longer on our side. Yes, hello, this is Anthony Day with your Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 10th of February. Welcome to all listeners in 40 countries across five continents and a particularly special welcome to my listener in Haiti. The British government has published its Brexit white paper setting out its vision of what we are seeking to achieve in negotiating our exit from and new partnership with the European Union. Martin Baxter, Chief Policy Officer at IEMA, gave us his thoughts about Brexit and environmental legislation in the Sustainable Futures Report for the 21st of January. Now the white paper is out, he has some points to add, and you can read his post on LinkedIn. But the issues I picked out of his piece were... First, it's not clear whether post-Brexit laws will be amended or repealed by Parliament or whether this power could be delegated to ministers. This could have implications for environmental quality standards. Nevertheless, it looks as though we'll retain a link to European standards through BSI via CEN, that's the European Standards Body, which isn't an EU institution, but it does accept mandates from the European Commission. The government has restated its commitment to enhancing natural capital over a generation. We're still waiting for DEFRA's 25-year environment plan to provide more on this. It's expected any day now. The government restates its commitment to the Climate Change Act of 2008 and links this to support for international work to drive climate ambition. White paper is silent on air quality, save that existing EU targets will be incorporated into UK law through the Great Repeal Bill. The government has recently been prosecuted twice for failing to meet these targets, so we can only hope that in adopting them, it intends to respect them. As I said, the full text of Martin's summary is on his LinkedIn page. News from Scotland this week that IT company NVT Group has joined forces with Own Energy Solutions to develop wind turbines which attach to lampposts. They foresee huge export potential in addition to the 2 million lampposts in the UK which could be suitable for conversion. Metered clean energy could be fed directly into the national grid And the company said that as a result, each suitable lamppost conversion would save half a tonne of carbon being released into the atmosphere. I spoke to NVT and asked them how the units would cope with turbulence from passing traffic and whether they would be made in Scotland. 
They agreed to get back to me, but had not done so by the recording deadline. The report reminded me of the lampposts which I wrote about in my 2007 book, Will Climate Change Your Life? These were in Woking, Surrey, in the UK, and they not only had vertical wind turbines, but also solar panels. They were designed to store enough energy in batteries to keep them running for five days in cloudy, windless conditions. Woking does not seem to have rolled out a large number, but manufacturers EETS, that's EETS.co.uk, tell me that the product, the Hybro Light, is still available and each one is individually designed for its specific location. While the NVT units appear to require a grid connection, the Hybro Light can be totally freestanding and operate without an external supply. In the 10 years since I wrote about these lamps, we've seen dramatic developments in batteries, LED lights and solar PV technology, coupled with a dramatic fall in costs. I'm sure there's a bright future for this idea. Is it the end of the road for diesels? According to the Telegraph, a scrappage scheme for diesel cars could be introduced within months as part of a plan to lower emissions and improve air quality across the country. Apparently, work is underway by officials in the Department of Transport and DEFRA on a scheme to offer cashback or a discount on low-emission cars if people trade in their old polluting vehicles. Chris Grayling, the Transport Secretary, reportedly told industry experts that he supports plans for a scrappage scheme, but that it must be properly targeted. It follows a dramatic warning earlier this month after a number of London boroughs issued black alerts for toxic air quality and the city's mayor was forced to call on people to stay indoors and put off exercise until the levels improved. Westminster Council introduced a 50% surcharge on parking for diesel cars in a bid to drive them out of the borough. The bad publicity has also hit diesel sales. The Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, that's the SMMT, reports that while overall car sales increased by 2.9% in January, sales of diesel cars were down 4.3% on the same month last year. Sales of alternative fuel vehicles, pure electric, hybrid and plug-in hybrid, rose by nearly 20% but that's easily achieved from a very low base. To put things in perspective, of the 175,000 new cars registered in January, 7,300 were alternative fuel vehicles, but only 1,010 of those were pure electric. For the moment, at least, you should always be able to find a vacant charging point. What is marine anthropogenic litter and why should it concern us? In a recent presentation, Dr Lucy Woodall of the Department of Zoology at Oxford University explained that it is pollution of the seas with the waste that we humans create. It's easy to believe that all this pollution comes from shipping, but that's far from the truth. In fact, almost anything which gets into a watercourse ends up in the sea. That can be a plastic bag which blows into the river, a cigarette end washed into the gutter, 
agricultural runoff or industrial waste. Most of the material polluting the oceans starts on land. The oceans are becoming the world's rubbish sink, with vast areas of rubbish swirling in the gyres, the circular currents in the southern oceans. Pollution comes in various forms. Degraded plastic is a common sight on beaches, but microplastics, where plastics are eroded into minute particles, or nurdles, lovely word, which are fragments of plastic raw material, can be a more serious threat. Plastics are generally considered inert, so they may be untidy, but perhaps not dangerous. However, they may not be so benign. Of course, as bags or ropes, they can trap or choke sea creatures. Some chemical pollutants are hydrophobic and float on the surface of the water. Now they can be absorbed by the floating microplastics and then may be ingested by fish. Eventually, the contaminated microplastics may sink, taking chemicals to the bottom of the ocean to places where they would never normally reach. Abandoned fishing gear can trap fish. Floating plastics can form wind-blown rafts which can carry chemicals and organisms thousands of miles from their source to contaminate distant lands. Every fish we eat is likely to contain some microplastics. There's no data yet on how this will affect us or whether there is a safe daily helping of fish. But there's good news. There are many positive initiatives towards cleaning up the oceans or at least preventing the problem from getting worse. They're all good ideas, but they probably need to be geared up tenfold or more to have a significant impact. They include Baltimore's Mr Trash Wheel, combining old and new technology to harness the power of water and sunlight to collect litter and debris flowing down the Jones Falls River. Banning plastic microbeads from cosmetics and cleaning products. Banning plastic shopping bags. Rubbish catching barges on London's River Thames. MARPOL, the Marine Pollution Convention governing ship owners. The Sea Bin, a floating rubbish collector. One Less Plastic Bottle, a campaign to remind you to take a bottle of water from home rather than buying a new bottle every time. The Project Ocean Partnership which includes, amongst others, the Zoological Society of London, Selfridges, Greenpeace and the Marine Reserves Coalition. They say, by 2025, there will be one tonne of plastic for every three tonnes of fish in the world's oceans if nothing changes. There's a clear message about plastic here. Well, it's in almost everything we use or wear. There's a link here with the circular economy, which I've, I've mentioned in previous episodes. In the circular economy, there is no waste. Everything that is discarded becomes raw material for new production. If we reuse all our plastics, we can stop adding them to our waste stream. But much needs to change before that can happen. The fundamental issue is assigning responsibility for pollution. At present, manufacturers have no responsibility for the disposal of their products. That's the consumer's problem. Manufacturers have no obligation to make their products capable of recycling or repair. Planned obsolescence is alive and well. If the consumer doesn't throw the product away, the consumer won't be buying a new one. 
there are clear commercial pressures. After all, making, distributing and selling a new one supports jobs. So solving this problem will need government intervention. We need to make it more expensive to throw things away. We need more plastic recycling facilities. Nearly all plastics can be recycled, but if there are no local facilities, it's rarely cost-effective to send them away for recycling, and the transport involves a carbon footprint anyway. Despite this, there are simple things we can do, and signs that we're doing them. Now, where's that plastic water bottle I'm going to refill? Climate change is not cricket. Lords, the home of the Marylebone Cricket Club, the MCC, announced this week that it had become the first cricket ground in the country to run on 100% renewable energy. The new Warner stand, which will be opened in April 2017, is symbolic of MCC's sustainability drive. This innovative structure, designed by architects Populous, includes photovoltaic roof panels for electricity generation and a state-of-the-art water collection and recycling system. At the same time, new figures revealed the increasing disruption to cricket caused by extreme weather patterns. Extreme weather in December 2015, which has been linked to climate change, caused more than £3.5 million worth of damage across 57 cricket clubs. Two cricket grounds at Sowerby Bridge in West Yorkshire and Appleby Eden in Cumbria, remain unplayable. The announcement at Lords launched the annual Show the Love campaign from the Climate Coalition and the publication of its weather warning report highlighting how extreme weather conditions are affecting some of Britain's favourite places, from gardens to local pubs, rivers to our parish churches, iconic cliffs to woodlands, as well as cricket grounds. I'm afraid this launch by the Climate Coalition qualifies for this week's referral to the Department of Missed Opportunities. The Climate Coalition launched its Show the Love campaign with a new video on YouTube. You can find the full link on my blog, which is at anthonyday.blogspot.com. This is a love song, they say, like you've never heard before. It is the sound of the nation of people across the country coming together to show the love for the life they hold dear and want to protect from climate change. It's certainly a piece of art with memorable photographs, poetry, music and celebrity cameos, but I wonder whether it will actually change anything. It closes with this message on the screen. Climate change is threatening the things we love, but it's not too late to protect them if enough of us show we care. This message stays on the screen for five seconds, which is barely enough time to read it, and then the website address appears and shows up for even less time. In case you missed it, it's sharethelove.org.uk, which redirects to fortheloveof.org.uk. And this is a lavish website. But it's not clear what it is or what it's for, at least not at first sight. It reminds me of an article by Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote about something like the curse of too much knowledge. For example, if you work in an organisation that uses jargon every day, it becomes second nature and blindingly obvious. 
but it's easy to forget that it means nothing at all to outsiders. I'm sure whoever created this website knows what it's about, but I don't. And then there's that report, weather warning, but I couldn't find it on the Climate Coalition website. On the For the Love Of site, there's a news link, but the top story is historic climate deal reached in Paris. Yeah, that was in December 2015. Nothing about any report. Then I eventually found the weather warning report behind a link called Special Places Report. When I finally got in to the report, I found the foreword had been written by Professor Piers Forster, Director, Priestley International Centre for Climate at Leeds University. You may remember him from the episode Can We Trust the IPCC, which appeared on this podcast on the 10th of November 2014. No? Oh, well, it's still available. Anyway, it's a detailed and well-presented report with a dozen case studies about special places in Britain under threat. It ends with reasons to be cheerful. And on page 34, it tells us the Show the Love campaign is encouraging people from all walks of life to show they care by wearing and sharing green hearts in the week of the 7th to the 14th of February to stir feelings, spark thoughts, begin conversations and show politicians that we are passionate about protecting our world, not just for ourselves, but for generations to come. A very important message, but tucked away at the back of a report which itself was almost impossible to find. And where can I get a green heart? Ah, from the website, of course. But there's no link from the home page. You can only find it by Googling. And when you get to the green hearts page, it's a guide to making your own. Do let me know if you see anyone wearing a green heart this week. Dealing with climate change is very difficult but a vitally important message. The Climate Coalition has clearly put a lot of effort into all this, but I don't think it's worked. It's an urgent message. Energy Voice reports that Sir David King, former Chief Government Scientific Advisor, said this week that time is no longer on our side. In a worst-case scenario, he said, some of mankind's greatest cities could flood, economies could collapse, and millions of people be left starving to death. The risks of global warming are really quite severe. If we don't manage this problem, we are going to be faced with quite dramatic challenges to all of our economies. We could see sea level rises in the region of metres if we are very unlucky, and we have to look at the possibility of being very unlucky. Cities that are based on coastlines, Calcutta, Mumbai, Shanghai, New York and London, these are all at risk if sea levels rise. He was speaking at the Energy Institute in Aberdeen, and went on to say, quite frankly, it took us 21 years to get that agreement in Paris. We really have wasted an awful lot of time. Time is no longer on our side. We need to move on this, and we need to move on this quickly. It's generally impossible to motivate people with bad news. But Sir David cited money, the great motivator. He claimed that the marketplace for innovative technology to decarbonise the energy industry was worth trillions of dollars over the coming decades. He added, we really need to be shifting away from fossil fuels to provide all of the energy we need. Opportunity for wind-powered lampposts here. 
We have to replace that with renewable energies, energy storage, smart grids, new clean technologies coming through to the marketplace. My message, he concluded, is that this new marketplace is the new wealth-creating opportunity for the global economy. Are you a member of Greenpeace? I'm not, although I do support some of their campaigns. I had an email recently inviting me to write to the bank HSBC to complain about their support of the palm oil industry. I did so because I am aware that in Indonesia, the palm oil industry has caused destruction of forests and widespread burning is causing soil erosion, atmospheric pollution, dispossession of local inhabitants and destruction of wildlife habitats. I got a detailed letter in response and it's made me think very hard about whether HSBC was as bad as Greenpeace claimed. Greenpeace also sent me a link which I could forward to my friends. I didn't. I looked at it and it was a video of Stuart Gulliver, HSBC Group Chief Executive, being interviewed at the recent World Economic Forum in Davos. The footage was intercut with shots of construction equipment destroying forests, and it made HSBC look very bad and complacent. I sought out the original video from the World Economics Forum and viewed the complete interview. It doesn't do Greenpeace any favours, and demonstrates how they have distorted things through selective editing. If you want to check it for yourself, the video is called A New Chapter for Climate Action, at weforum.org, and the section in question comes about nine minutes before the end. I'm all in favour of protest, but only when it's justified and founded on fact. I'll certainly think twice before responding to the next appeal from Greenpeace. And so here we are again, at the end of another episode of the Sustainable Futures Report. I started this week concerned I'd have nothing at all to write about, but it just goes to show that stories about sustainability bubble up all the time. There will be more next week. I've no idea what it'll be. If there's anything in particular you'd like me to focus on, drop me a line. Mail at anthony-day.com. Thank you all across the world for listening. This is Anthony Day, and as I said before, I'm always available to chair your conference, host your award ceremony, facilitate your webinar or deliver a keynote speech. But for the moment, until next week, that's it. Thanks again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>